Welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Amerisource Bergen where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. In this episode, the sixth of our GPO legislative update series, Joel White, President and CEO of Horizon Government Affairs, discusses the new DEA proposed rules on prescribing controlled substances and treatments. All right. So just to shift gears a little bit, and as I mentioned at the beginning, the, you know, I can't cover everything here. There's other issues like uh, nutrition benefits, low-income meal programs, uh, Title 42. You've probably heard a lot about the, the public health authority that's been used at the border to turn away folks coming across the border. All kind of expired when the public health emergency expired on, on the 11th. And so we can talk about those things. I'm not necessarily an expert on immigration or or things like that, but if you have questions around some of the other things, we could get you like a comprehensive list of everything that's actually expiring. But um, the question remains, like, so we came through this pandemic. We learned a lot of lessons, I think, both good and bad uh, about what our capabilities are and what worked well, what didn't work well. I think a lot of people po- point to the development of vaccines at a very quick pace within nine months was was kind of like a really good example of what can happen when government and private sector partner together. I think the other thing is that, you know, we saw the provider heroes uh, who are operating overtime, double time, without a lot of supplies, and that exposed some of the faults in the system and some of the cracks. So Congress is trying to learn from that. And there's three separate committees in the House and two in the Senate that are looking at lessons learned from COVID and how do we change our public health laws so that we can respond better for the next pandemic. And I think most immunologists that you talk to will tell you that uh, this is not the last pandemic, right? There's going to be more and more and more. So this is the timeline. Obviously, May 11th, public health emergency expired. Uh, Today, where we're at, you might have heard about the debt limit. We have a debt limit in this country and we're going to hit it probably right around June 1st or thereabouts. And if Congress doesn't raise the debt limit, we could default on our uh, 30 plus trillion dollars in debt. That could be catastrophic for the economy, for home mortgages, lots of things. We've never done it before, so no one really knows, but lots of people don't want to try. So that is being worked out as we speak. Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is working with President Biden to try and come to a deal. The House has voted to raise the debt limit and I had added policy changes to that debt limit. Um, the Senate has not acted. And so the negotiations have gone to Biden and McCarthy. And I can tell you, I talked to Speaker McCarthy last week. I talked to the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee this morning. They feel like they're in a good place because the talks are starting to bear fruit. There will be an increase in the debt limit, in my opinion, by the end of this week would be my guess an agreement at least. And then you've got to pass the bill in the House and the Senate. And I believe that will get bipartisan support because Biden will have signed off on it. But it will increase the debt limit probably for a year, maybe longer. I think the Democrats want to get it past the election. Republicans want to keep it before the election. And it will also include policy. So it will include some kind of like rescission or cuts to unspent COVID funds. It may take us back to the funding levels enacted in 2022, so just six months ago, and capping them at that level for at least a year. And then the one that gets talked about a lot are work requirements on low-income programs like uh, welfare, SNAP, 
uh, Medicaid uh, requiring people to engage in job search work or uh, volunteerism or education for at least 10, 20 hours a week as a condition of receiving those benefits. Um, all those things I believe will be in the package. And then there are things that we don't know, and we're hearing rumors that there could be some drug pricing stuff in there, maybe some changes to Medicare Advantage, other things. There's only about 10 people in that room. So uh, we don't, won't know, know everything until we see the deal come out. But again, I believe that'll be this week. And I do believe that we will avoid um, catastrophic default and global economic calamity as a result. Um, and then you say, well, what after that? Um, and so the regular process of funding the government and making sure we don't shut down and then doing the things that have to be done. And then the question in my mind is what do they want to do that might get done? And so if you think about the must do, we've got the debt limit, we've got the appropriation bills, which have to get done by September 30th, or the government shuts down, uh, which no one wants. Then you've got the miscellaneous things that have to be reauthorized or the programs end, like the farm programs, the annual defense authorization process. And then there's several Medicare and Medicaid expiring provisions in both September and December that need to be reauthorized or those programs go away. Uh, but the big one in terms of the context of this webinar is the Pandemic All Hazards Preparedness Act, which is related to public health, countermeasures, national stockpile, uh, BARDA, CDC, some of these public health agencies, and again, Congress is looking at what happened during the PHE, what flexibilities worked well, what do we need to change in the law, and how do we get bipartisan support for that so that we can send it to the president? And I, you know, I do think that this Stark issue that we talked about earlier with the uh, in-office dispensing could be one of those issues. I think Harshbarger getting uh, 53 other members of Congress to sign onto that letter, bipartisan, was a clear sign that this is a concern. I don't get the sense that things are working well right now between Congress and CMS on that issue. So it might require a legislative change. I think that's what CMS is arguing. So we'll see how that plays out. But the that public health bill that 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 expire the, the that those programs expire September 30th, that would be the vehicle to get it done on, in my opinion. So we could see some quick resolution to that issue. And then there's the want to do. And importantly here for folks, you know, competition, transparency around prices for drugs and services. But PBM reform is being addressed by six different committees in the House and the Senate. It is bipartisan. Uh, there's a lot of people working on this. So I think PBM reform happens. The only question in my mind is what does it look like? Uh, the least I think that Congress will do is transparency. And so how do PBMs make their money? What channels are the drugs going through? How much are they charging? Is there a spread involved? Is there a rebate associated with this, et cetera? The most they could do, though, is kind of spread pricing, ban banning spread pricing uh, or restricting it, uh, requiring rebates to be passed through to the plan sponsor or to the patient and really addressing some of the pharmacy networks that are either owned wholly or uh, partially by the health plans uh, are all issues that are kind of on the table. And so how that all works out, I'm not sure. Like I said, there's six committees working on this. The one commonality though across that those six committees is really transparency. So we would expect that to at least get done. Uh, in the Senate, I think Schumer is looking at attaching an insulin cap 
onto the PBM reform package and possibly other drug pricing changes, particularly around patent reform. So we're keeping an eye on that. And the House, oddly enough, is kind of less aggressive in their response to PBMs than the Senate, some of the Senate bills. Um, but the Health Committee marked up their package last week. The Energy and Commerce Committee on the House side is marking up their package tomorrow. And then the other committees will follow suit. So that seems to me something that, that might get done will probably get done this Congress. The only question is how aggressive will it be? And then health reform and tech and data privacy, who knows? There are many members, very powerful members of Congress who wanna get that done, but the pathway there seems a little less clear. And that's partly because of this picture. So you've got very narrow, the narrowest of margins in the Senate, one additional Democrat there. And then the House, very narrow margin for Kevin McCarthy. I think he can lose six votes on any single vote without failing. And so it's really hard to get stuff done in this environment. It's also hyper-partisan around some issues. The margins are very narrow. There's competing factions in the House from the ultra-conservative to you know the more moderate Republicans and from the ultra-progressive to the more moderate Democrats. But it seems like they're they're moving forward across the board on a number of these issues, not the least of which is in healthcare. So um, hope springs eternal. Hopefully there's some good things that come out of this Congress because there's there's lots of stuff that happened during the public health emergency. We want to retain some of those flexibilities while learning lessons from the COVID emergency and improving our health system. So with that, uh, happy to take uh, questions. I think we have a little bit of time here. All right, thank you, Mr. White, for your presentation. We'll now switch to the question and answer session. If you'd like to ask the presenter a question, please use the Q&A feature at the bottom of your screen. Your questions will be answered in the order in which they were received. Due to time constraints, we may not be able to answer all your questions and we will only be answering questions specific to today's topic. And it does look like we have one question in there, Mr. White, um, that says, CMS says in the office ancillary exception doesn't allow patients to receive outpatient prescription drugs from a group practice by mail. Does this prohibit a group practice from internally transferring within the group practice outpatient prescription drugs to other group practice office locations that don't have retail pharmacies for patient pickup? These group practice office locations would otherwise meet the location test under the IOAE and the transfers are permitted under state pharmacy law. These locations are just geographically closer to the patients and would be the locations that the patients see their physician. Yeah, great question. And I've got to give you a disclaimer up front. I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly not a Stark lawyer. So let me uh, go back to the text. I think the answer is yes, but um, I don't want to give you any advice that that may be incorrect, but I, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Um, but we have to check that. Good question. The, the intent there, I think, was that when looking at the location requirement, um, so long as, under the Stark law, they're really looking at the financial relationship more than they are the practice or the treatment of the patient. So they're looking first at that financial relationship versus whether that's creating an inappropriate referral um, that generates a financial reward. Um, but I think the answer to your question is yes. But if you want to provide your information, we can get back to you on that. 
Um, and I see the question about the CMS FAQ regarding only patients can pick up their own medication. It is, um, boy, is that a tough one, right? You can imagine a sick patient, uh, you know, the wife or the spouse or uh, brother or sister or kid or whoever is going to the grocery store, is going to the pharmacy for this person, is, you know, doing all kinds of things, but the patient has to come pick up the medicine. Um, it seems cruel. Uh, it really does. But that is how CMS is, is uh, interpreting the location requirement. And that's why I said, like, this is probably time to take a harder look at this uh, 2001 uh, rule and, and more recent FAQ, because CMS is saying the patient themselves has to come in and pick up the medication. It's just cruel, in my opinion. Other questions? Well, I know that issue is front burner for a lot of folks. I do know that, um, you know, Amerisource Bergen has been working with Congresswoman Harshbarger, um, you know, provided information and, uh, you know, for her office before the letter was sent and, um, you know, is working to get some kind of a, uh, uh, resolution to the issue. Uh, right now, it's kind of between the Congresswoman and HHS and the members of Congress and, and the department. Um, and our hope is that they can work it out without legislation. Legislation is really hard. Um, but I do know that from speaking with Congresswoman Harshbarger, she is willing to introduce legislation and push it with the committee um, if ultimately the answer from HHS is no. My concern is that really what I'm hearing from CMS is that uh, the answer is probably no, and they're not willing to kind of go back and 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 revise this, the the Stark Rick. Unfortunate because they have a lot of flexibility to do so. The intent originally back in 2001 is, if you read the 2001 rule, is that they believed Congress intended to only have it uh, furnished, dispensed, used at the location. And the location did not include the patient's home, but they made that exception if the patient were taking the product for con consumption at home. It's a bit of a silly um, interpretation in my mind if you're just talking about how to get the same product to that patient and avoid someone coming in person. Uh, so my hope is it'll be resolved by HHS. If it's not, we're going to have to go to the legislative route. And if we have to go to the legislative route, that's more of a process. But Again, if we have to go that route, hopefully that bill that's coming up for, for reauthorization by September 30th is a good vehicle to get that fixed. That's all for this episode of On Call. Our next episode will feature information on payment updates for Medicare. If you have any questions for our guests or have a topic you would like to learn more about, email us at oncallgpo at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.